0: ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the true life podcast I hope your day is going beautiful the sun is shining hope the uh your bank hasn't failed yet we're here with the one and only benjamin c george aka mr wizard ben how's it going my friend how you doing today
1: right uh, another per- day in paradise brother the sun's shining yeah. here too so that's always nice how about yeah. yourself
0: yeah it's uh it's a it's got a silver lining today and um i think if that's maybe the best we could hope for in the world of, of crisis that we seem to be going through is either sunshine or a silver lining. And it, it just seems like it gets more and more interesting. we got a lot of good feedback on the last show. And um, I'm just curious. We've got a lot of stuff going on this week. We've got president Trump maybe being arrested. We've got more bank failures. We've got new chat GPT four. We've got the war in Ukraine. What do you think is uh what is at the top of your list this week, Ben? What do you think?
1: Oh goodness. I would probably say, uh, all the things trying to happen behind the scenes mm. behind these headlines. Um, but yeah, I, there's, there's tons of stuff. Google just announced their AI chat system or chat bot, uh, Bard, I believe it's called. So I signed up for that beta to see how Google's going to unroll their thing here. Um, yeah, the the, the AI lang- large language models are definitely, uh, this is the year for those.
0: Yeah, I agree. I um, It's fascinating to see them being rolled out and what's happening from them. You know, we've spoken a little bit about how it could be something that eliminates software. It seems like a lot of people are beginning to use that to write code. It seems like it could be somewhat the end of the middleman. What do you think are going to be some of the ramifications now that Google, Microsoft, and OpenAI are sort of competing in this in this arena of of AI?
1: Well, I you know the tools are going to get better. Um, they're also going to become more costly and more privatized. Is is how I see this kind of playing out uh you know open ai started with the idea that they weren't going to charge for this stuff they were just going to you know create this stuff and release it out into the world and you know lo and behold fast forward what four or five years now you know that is a is a pay for service type idea um and i think as these things become more kind of integrated into society and, and business operations especially uh the cost of these things and they're being available to the public go out the window.
0: Yeah, it's it seems like it's almost a, a uh, private intel firm in a way, like you know, that like you had Stratford and you have all these private intel firms and they charge, I don't know, five grand a year, or, you know, 20 grand a year, whatever their fee is in order to have access to this knowledge first. It seems similar to to these ai machines im I'm wondering, is it really a competition between them? Because if it is, we may see some good things come out of it. You know we saw that Microsoft is hooked up to the internet, open you know ironically enough, open AI is not hooked up to the internet, even though they're open AI. You know Google's coming out, and it seems like they all have in a weird way, they have maybe behind closed doors or or it's just industry standard, but they have found a way to make all of their chatbots have sort of a similar political bias. Is that accurate? Or have you found that to be true? Or do we know?
1: Uh, I've seen that to be true. I've done a few tests. I haven't, I haven't got a hold of Bard yet. Um, So we'll see how Google does it. But, you know, I suspect just because of Google's leanings as they are right now and the bias they have in their search, I would expect that to kind of carry over into the AI system. Yeah. Yeah. It it is interesting. We have, you know, there's definitely a liberal political bias that that's formed with all of these things. Um, You know, again, it's a direct reflection of the coders and the people reviewing the data and, you know, putting the little flags in the recursive models and all of that stuff. But yeah, what sort of implications that has as these tools become more and more adopted is, uh, is an interesting quandary.
0: Yeah, I think so too. It's, I wonder, I know that there's been some hacks like the Dan hack, the do anything now act, or the prompts that allow the chat bot to become a different identity and thus act in a different way. And these are just the the, the hacks that you and I have heard about on Reddit or, you know, we have heard people discussing. I think that there's probably going to have to be other ones. And I'm wondering if, do you think it might be possible to get one chat bot to hack another chat bot? <laughs>
1: Well, I, you know, they've done some experiments where they kind of like hook up these chatbots and let them go and quickly they start forming their own languages that humans can't understand and all sorts of other things um, because it's much more efficient. Right. Uh, but getting one to, to basically hack another, I, I guess you could write a program that would just, you know, stream every single uh, input from one into another and then type of, you know, try to correlate the responses or try to, you know, find any differences um yeah i i i think the thing is though is they all kind of become normalized in a sense they all continue to filter down until they have pretty much the same type of information which you know is could be useful again if we could remove the bias from it but you know the when you have you know like programming for instance like you said they're all going to be software programmers (laughs) well that's all fine and dandy until you know that one piece of code that all of these are pulling off of, you know, was actually has some security flaw in it. Now all of a sudden you don't have the security engineers looking for this, you just have these mm-hmm. recursive models looking for this and you know updating, you know, however many millions of lines of code that these things end up generating over the coming years becomes, you know, just a whole nightmare in and itself.
0: Yeah, it's in some, in some ways, it seems like we're building the final level of the Tower of Babel. Like this is it from here, <laughs> you know. It's- <laughs> I, um, it's fascinating to think about the ramifications of it, and you know, you and I always talk about how we can see examples of what's happening in our life, not only in the technology that's being built, but in the circumstances that are taking place. And in mm-hmm. some ways, I see this idea of Chat G P and these chatbots as like the large banks you know it just seems like they're going to consolidate everything you have the biggest chatbots and even though the technology to now build them is becoming more widely known to regular people and they could build them the small person trying to build a chatbot doesn't have access to the the vast amount of information they need in order to make it worthwhile so you have these giant chatbots that can suck up the small ones which is a great segue into Did we just nationalize all the banks in the U.S., Ben?
1: Well, $2 trillion being injected into the banking system might say so. Um, And, you know, like to that point, uh, Credit Suisse is now being talked about being nationalized by the the Swiss government. I guess uh, USB tried to buy them out, you know, for like 17 cents on the dollar or whatever. And that kind of fell through. And now the Swiss government's talking about nationalizing it. Um, yeah, I, you know, we're kind of seeing a very interesting period in banking where all of this is kind of, I don't think it's going to be nationalized because it's not in the shareholders best interest. And a lot of those shareholders happen to be, you know, lobbyists, Congress people, things like that too, um, from an investment perspective. So I don't think they will be nationalized, uh, officially, um, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe some of them will be kind of like deputized under the fed type idea uh but you know it's it's interesting to see all of the liabilities that these banks have incurred over the past 12 to 20 years i mean it's how anybody could say hey we're going to take customer money and we're going to put it in these types of investments where the risk were pretty well known like all these treasury bonds for instance Mm -hmm. you know we bought up billions and billions of dollars of treasury bonds at 1.5%, knowing the interest rates are going to go up, what do you expect is going to happen? So, yeah, I, I could see there being a call for it. I don't think it would actually happen. I think it would be something, some sort of mechanism that would fall under the Fed's guidelines, which, you know, the Fed isn't really the federal government either. It's a private corporation as well. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how this falls out, though.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's the that old Chinese saying, may you live in interesting times. And it <laughs> seems to me that that's exactly what's happening. You know, we've first off, I don't think that the Fed, like you said, they're not federal. They don't have the they don't have the right to go in and tell the United States banks, we're going to backstop all of you. I think only Congress can do that. And Congress right. is not going to do anything. And so it's it's. It's this weird, slippery slope of what can we get away with? Hey, let's just mm-hmm. go out and tell the world that we are in charge now without really being in charge. And if they let us do it, then they let us do it. And I, while I may not believe that the majority of the United States public, and myself included, is not financially savvy enough to understand all the rules, I know that there are good people out there that are looking at this being like, Dude, you can't do that. I'll take you to court, you know, and maybe they win, maybe they lose. But, you know, this idea of 30 trillion dollars in debt, this idea of one entity saying we are going to backstop every single borrower in the United States, even though there's already the FDIC. Like, mm-hmm. it seems to me what we're what we're seeing is if it's true, if they're going to backstop everybody, that's the greatest bailout in history. You know, they're bailing out all the same people that they bailed out in 08. And I think it's ironic that one of the lead executives at SVB Bank used to work at Lehman, uh, Brothers. Lehman Brothers. Yeah, right? Like It's, it's just it's, we're, we're seeing history rhyme like we always talk about. And <laughs> if, if we can agree that history is rhyming and we can agree that when Lehman Brothers went down, the government came out and said, don't worry, there's no problem here. And now we can see the government saying, look, there's no problem here. We know that there's a problem here. If we can extrapolate it from the past, Ben, what would you say is about to happen in the next few months?
1: Uh, I think we're going to continue to see this inflation just continue to pop up and up and up. Um, and then in response, we'll see the rates continue to rise because they don't want to run away inflation. But again, you know, this is this is like an old economics talk, you know, that we've been talking about kicking the can down the road for, you know, the past 30 some years, ever since we started doing crude, just ridiculous amounts of debt. Right. Um, you know, like you said, we're over $30 trillion in debt. I mean, debt to who is an interesting question. Uh, and, you know, when when you kind of dictate the world's policies, that's why you can, I guess, afford to do something like this. But how mm-hmm. long does that work? I mean, you know, how long till these systems actually just completely break? You know, I I think like the 2008 crisis and what we're seeing now is just kind of fractures in the system. Mm -hmm. But what happens if it just shuts down the machine? You know, you're talking you're talking supply chain issues across the board, uh, centralizing of people into urban centers, because that would be the only place to really get resources for the vast majority of people. Um, Rural communities would just all but disappear in most of the country uh you know gasoline shortages would be rampant and then you throw in stuff like bricks and things like that that are moving to you know make a an oil-backed currency which that's an entirely different conversation uh, mm. and but you factor that into the equation and things could get really bad really fast yeah and now do i think that's going to happen i don't think it's going to happen because i think there's there's still so much supporting that system, even if it fails, it'll take a long time for it, like a cascade failure to happen. But, you know, with what we've seen over the past few years, you know, we've seen cascade failures beginning to happen in in other parts of the world. And definitely, you know, even through like the COVID stuff and all of that. So, you know, anything can happen at this point, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I was having a, in my darker days, I feel like that's already happened. And that's why we're moving from emergency to emergency to emergency. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's no, str- it's no, for anybody paying attention or anybody that, you know, scans the headlines or anybody that pays attention to anything but the mainstream news, I think the majority of people agree that, you know, emergency situations are cause for emergency powers and that's what we've seen between the the federal government and local government and state government is just this rush to emergency powers because you know i think that whether it's the train derailments which i don't know how there's been 1400 this year and like 50 in canada like that seems to me to be a whole other idea of whether it's being done by us or being done by somebody else, those seem to me to be things that are being done on purpose, you know, and and it's a great way to seize resources. It's a great way to stop supply chains. And, uh, you know, that would be one factor in society, breaking down systemic banking issue. There's another reason right there. And this idea that we have tons of money for bank bailouts, we have unlimited money for bank bailouts. We have unlimited money for Ukraine But the guy that's a security guard outside my work is a veteran. He's got cancer. His wife's got cancer. The guy's Mm. suicidal, and there's no money for him. There's no money for the people losing their jobs. In fact, the Fed wants people that are, quote-unquote, employees to lose their jobs so they don't consume much. Like, How can those two things, Ben? I, I don't understand how those two things can coexist together. We have unlimited money for bank bailouts in Ukraine. But we want the people on the very bottom to not consume as much, so we hope they get laid off. How can those two things coexist?
1: Well, I, I, they can't coexist for long. Is <laughs> it, I think what the you know they can coexist for a little while. It's kind of like imagine momentum of a train, right? If all yes. of a sudden, if all of a sudden you cut the engine, all of that built up momentum, all of that mass is still going to move that train quite a distance. But if, you know, eventually that runs up, that momentum, you know, it's, you know, Newton's Newton's loss, right, of physics, right? Eventually, the friction of the system will be so great that, you know, something in that process will break and stop. Um, I think the question is, is where will that break happen? And, uh, mm. in, in, you know, There's definitely the push towards these urban centers, these smart cities. We've talked a little bit about that. You know, there's the push to the central bank digital currencies. And I think all of this at some level, whether it's and I don't think it's some grand conspiratorial type thing. I think it's just there's a a limited set of options for the people who are in these positions of power and the decisions that they can make Mm -hmm. and the paths that they can take and those limited decisions just all happen to lead to this this finality where i think we and we we talked about it you know when we first started talking i think this yeah. is the beginning of the breaking of nations
0: yeah yeah i agree i you know if we if we take what you said and we recycle the east palestine story into it that Town or village, as they call it, is now run by Norfolk Southern. That is a Norfolk Southern county. Like they own yep. the land, they have their own police force, they have their own services, mm-hmm. and once they've established that there, like why would they leave? Like they have they and and maybe it's a trial run. Maybe because this crisis happened, you know, I think it was Rahm Emanuel who said, "Never let a good crisis go to waste." What a perfect place yep. to bring in a railroad town. And if you have a railroad mm-hmm. town why not a google town or an apple mm-hmm. town and you can you can already make the argument that the apple headquarters is like its own city mm-hmm. and why wouldn't you borrow from china and be like you know what why do, why don't we just have people work at our facility you know just give them a dorm you know why not raise them here it's a great place to raise a kid and like yep. and maybe that's the natural progression maybe these ideas of smart cities maybe these ideas of strong cities we're just trial balloons because everyone knows what's happening and that's the end of the financial system as we know it. And I, I agree. I, I think that maybe it, it may while there may be some nefarious background to it, you know, maybe that is the natural progression of things. And, you know, I think the question another question for everybody listening to this is where do you want to be at? do you want to live in a a 15 minute city? Do you want to live in an apple city? Do you want to live in a UPS city? Or do you want to live in a country town where you and your neighbors are preppers? I it's, it's very interesting to see how this thing is going to shake out. And there's all kinds of catalysts Ben. I think that could take it to the next level. One of which might be like, what do you think happens if a, a president of the United States is arrested? What does that
1: mean? (laughs) Well, I mean, we've already seen just a incremental declination of right. trust in the system. Uh, and I think, you know, this that's kind of when Paula, like when sitting, uh, you, even if you go back to like Caesars and stuff like that, Right. whenever that starts happening in society, that's usually an earmark for, you know, the end of that society Yeah. in its current inception. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it's everybody makes a joke out of like, you know, Nancy Pelosi's husband being the best stock trader on the planet, you know, and and so we're intimately aware of these things, right? And it's only so long before that political class that that aristocracy gets some sort of blowback from the general public. Um, you know, with everybody in their smartphones, I think it kind of takes longer than it used to mm. when everybody was walking around with the sword instead. Uh, but I think we're definitely moving in that direction and yeah in terms yeah. of a catalyst if you if you start arresting politicians and presidents just because of the us first them mentality of the tribalism that's been so rampant and, and turned up to 11 recently yeah you're gonna get some people who are just gonna put some guns on their hips and and go for it
0: yeah you know i If I was the Roman Senate or I was a group of bankers that was worried about the entire populace coming to my house and stringing up me and my family, then I would do everything in my power to keep those people divided. I would Mm -hmm. be like, hey, that black person. Hey, that white person. Hey, that gay person. Hey, the women and men. Hey, you know what? Let's arrest this politician. Anything to keep the spotlight off of me. Mm -hmm. And it seems, at least in my opinion... I, I think that while there's plenty of blame to go around and everyone is guilty, myself included, I, I'm, I have made tons of mistakes. I have, you know, I, I live in a first world nation and I probably have too many resources and I am probably guilty of not thinking about people in other nations. Everybody's guilty to some level, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I think that there are a group of people or multiple groups of people, you know, that are, flourishing and profiting off all the division and it 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 seems like a welcome distraction to them what do you think
1: yeah i i think definitely there is those groups of people who are profiting off this uh you know that's kind of been the history of humanity though too right uh in terms of responsibility i think yeah every every person walking on the planet has the responsibility to kind of be you know awareness and good and things like that but when you're talking the the lion's share of the responsibility mm. when you're making uh choices and calls and decisions that affect millions and billions of people I think you own a little bit more of that responsibility and Agreed. you know because of our vast our, our mass communication now uh it's hard to it's hard to deny that responsibility and I think that that's kind of what we're seeing too is and that's why there's a push for more division because the people who should be held accountable know they should probably be held accountable. Mm-hmm. And so their only option is like you said, keep people looking the other direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's in some ways, like it's one of those things like where if you don't laugh, you cry. because It's <laughs> it's funny in a way. It's like I could see one people, like even if you're a group of people and you're like, look, we should arrest Donald Trump. Okay, if you just take a moment to think about what happens when you arrest a political figure, like if today you arrest Donald Trump, tomorrow you arrest Joe Biden's son. And then you go back and you arrest the Clintons. And then like, you, th- there's no one that has the moral authority to be arresting any politician because they're all guilty of the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, it's a short stone's throw away from the left arresting the right to the people arresting the politicians, you know, and I think that that's a slippery slope. And and that kind of makes me chuckle a little bit because, you know, you have all these strategists that are like, we should arrest, you know what, this would, this would be great for his campaign. This would really show the Democrats this. But mm-hmm. what it would really show is it, I think it would be the straw that unites the people and the people would go, you know what? Time for a little bit of uh, the old robe spear to come into town time for a little (laughs) Robespierrean moment you know (laughs) it's 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 there though it's right on the cusp and you know that there's people chomping at the bit to arrest this guy like they can't wait just for the headline they want to do it so bad even trump's like i want to be in handcuffs like what are you guys talking about this is the dumbest thing ever
1: yeah it's it's not a you know it's it's representative of of what our society's facing yeah. right? uh and yeah it it's just a dog and pony show at this point yeah. um you know i i i don't think the ship writes itself uh like i you know i think there's just a limited amount of choices based upon previous actions and this is what we're what we're beholden to you know we got two guys who are pushing, you know, the end of their life, still competing for the highest seat in the world. Whereas, you know, in, in senators as well, right. And all these, all these Congress people, you know, are the best and brightest voices as a generation being heard are the best and brightest voices of the past two generations being heard. Right. I mean, you know, it's, we've lost our ability as a society to, highlight the great ideas and mm-hmm. throw away the negative ideas and the bad ideas. Um, and it's just kind of been like a systemic thing that's happened over the past, you know, well, since World War II, really.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, um, you know, I, w- you know, we, we brought this up in the earlier part of the conversation where history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes I, I, I look to the rest of the world to see what's happening there. So I know what's about to happen here. And Mm -hmm. if you look at France right now, just yellow vest back Mm -hmm. in full motion, fires Mm -hmm. in the streets, cops being just beat down. If you look at Germany about to start having their protests, you know, if you look at England about to start having their, they're already in somewhat of a food crisis where the food is up like 18% I heard. Mm-hmm. The same things are happening here in the United States. Like we have a food crisis, right. we have an inflation crisis, we have a spiraling inflation that's going that's not transitory. And now we have banks failing. It's mm-hmm. it's you're going to see the riots be rolled out here, and and they're I don't know if they're going to be rolled out as much. I think that they there, there is a combination of people that are going to be paid to riot and people that are just going to riot because they don't have food. And then it's going to be blamed on Antifa. It's going to be blamed on all these things. The truth is, what's happening in the other countries is happening here. And the people, the people that have the least amount are beginning to rise up in a tide that is going to cover a large part of the nation. And there's there's not a whole lot of things you can say or do to paper over that that's not veiled correctly. Like, people can see through it. I think people are beginning to see through that. What do you think are, are the same things that are happening in France, in Germany, are the riots that are happening there because of social problems? Are those coming back to the U S like the summer of rage that we had been?
1: Well, I think, you know, I think uh, Western society is connected at the hip. Um, hmm. You know, even though there's, there's some stark differences between what right. we call Western society countries. Uh, but yeah, I think that's all coming home to roost. I mean, you can only mismanage something for so long before mm-hmm. before something has to happen. Uh, and, you know, Western society at large has mismanaged its position in the world, its responsibility to its citizens. And, you know, those things can be bread and circused away for a while. Uh, but eventually, yeah, we're going to see it. We're going to see when all of a sudden people are destitute and they can't afford a loaf of bread. What are they going to do? and you know i think we'll see the government's reaction to this be like oh well here's a central bank digital currency mm-hmm. go ahead and get your free 2000 fun bucks per month and we'll give you this subsidized housing over here like i've been watching uh, subsidized housing all over colorado springs pop up oh wow oh yeah uh and and colorado springs is rather a f- Has always been rather affluent. Um, And, you know, it's popping up in most major city centers in Colorado, too. Uh, And so I think, you know, they're just going to eventually, you know, it's kind of weird because it's kind of attached to the whole meta concept, too, right? And it's the great reset and you own nothing and like it. All these things are kind of playing out together. I don't think it's necessarily in the agenda. I think it, they, there's just a lack of options because mm-hmm. realistically, what are you going to do to change something like this? If you had, if you had the, the seat of power, I mean, it, can you imagine anything to change the, the course of where we're, where we're heading?
0: Wow. Um, I can, but it's a, it's a gamble and it, it, it's, it's what everybody else would guess. I, I if I was at the seat of power, I think your only hope is a benevolent strongman to come in, hey, these these guys are guilty, we're going to hang them. These guys are guilty, they're going to tribunal. I think that that settles down the people for a short time. But that with with the with that, you know, if you look at the way Singapore was, like you mm-hmm. had a dictator in Singapore that made things better. Like that's mm-hmm. possible. Like it's possible to have the Chinese model here in the United States, that works on behalf of the people—that is possible. Is what? Is it? Will it happen? No, because people are corruptible. Power corrupts people, and ultimate power corrupts ultimately. There's money involved. There's scarcity involved, and there's fear involved. And I'm—I'm I'm here to tell you that there's a gentleman named Paul LaPau that does not live in fear, and he—he t- he will tell you that fear. Is the one thing that drives people off the edge, and, and I see it everywhere. I, I do think that that the on some level, and I think that this is the foundation behind the uh, technocratic idea: is that things can be better if we allow for a more equitable share of the world's resources to go to the people. And I, it's hmm. a beautiful idea, right? Like it's a beautiful idea. It can be. Mm-hmm. But how who's the person, or who's the group of people that decides what's equitable? Because therein lies the corruption? And you mm-hmm. could say, well, it's the algorithm. Okay, well, who is programming the algorithm? Because we already see what's happening with chat GPT. like who mm-hmm. are who are the people that get to make the decisions to divvy up the piles? And so I think it's possible to have a system that would allow for people to vote on things. But that does away with an entire aristocracy, and those people will not let it happen. And so if I was a strong man, I think that those are your options. I think you either come in as a – or if I was the person at the seat of power, you either come in as a benevolent dictator, and you you off some of the bankers, you off some of the politicians, and you set a hard line. And you say, look, these guys are corrupt. Here's what they did. Everybody meet in the square at the gallows. We're going to have a good old-fashioned party. (laughs) <laughs> or you bring in the technocratic the technocratic idea and you say, look, everybody in here, we can bank online. Now you can vote online. You can see your results online. Let's see where it goes. I think those are the only two options that the, the, that the world has to move forward. And the benevolent dictator option is an option that is proven to be a horrible idea. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have much hope for the continued use of the constitution. I, I I think it's a beautiful document and I think if we followed it, it would work, but I, I don't think it's possible to follow that document anymore. What, what's your take? What would you do at the seat of power? What do you think?
1: Well, I think your assessment's pretty spot on. I think, um, you know, you either come in as the benevolent dictator and you, you basically hit the hard reset button. Right. Um, which the reality of that actually occurring is, you know, it doesn't exist, you know. Besides our <laughs> thought experiment, because right, right, you would never be in that position as the benevolent dictator without right. at least some support from the aristocracy, <laughs> right? Uh, and so you're gonna you're gonna only eliminate the ones who didn't support you, and that that we know how that song and dance plays out. Um, I, you know, I the way I see it is the only realistic solution would be to really kind of hit the hard reset button. Uh, and bring things back to localized stuff yeah, yeah you can say everybody can vote online for the president but what is the president of 330 billion people what is that uh do policies in washington dc generally reflect the you know the heart and soul of the nation no absolutely not. Uh, and i think you know you end up it becomes a population problem at some level yeah. you know as soon as you have a couple million people in a competition of ideas even in like a small, city like a denver for instance i mean you're not going to get any sort of great democratic resolutions right you're just going to get a popularity contest which is what we have now um but i think you could localize it and you know if you actually and there's some things from the technocratic side like you know if you built with the the idea of sustainability advice yeah. You know, like a community provides all of the food that it needs. A community provides, you know, 90% of the resources that it needs. Then all of a sudden you can have a duplicatable model that you could build from and kind of reorganize how we do things. Um, and that would be assisted by you know having AI systems, having public voting online, having transparency. Uh, but again, that's just one of those things. It works at our thought experiment, but you would never actually be able to do it in, in the real world. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Yeah, and and may, maybe that. Okay, if if we're coming to that conclusion, I got to think that people that are in positions of authority that are, you know, some. There's people out there that have far more access to far more information than we do. But if you and I are coming up with this idea, chances are other people have come up with this idea. And if it's about you know, starting over in a smaller group you know, or you know, f- drastically cutting off the power of the federal government and getting back to the states, at least in the United States, getting back to these small localized areas, The problem is, or one of the problems I see is you have to get rid of the rule of law somewhat in order to make that happen. And that's a very chaotic transformation. And, you know, Mm -hmm. if the federal government stops, then you start cutting off all these subsidies. And when you cut off subsidies, you create scarcity. When you create scarcity, you have all these people that are ready to fight for their life because you're in some levels, you're cutting off that which makes their life sustained, you're cutting off their food, you're cutting off their water, you're cutting off their housing. People are mm-hmm. gonna riot. And it, you know it, it's like the bandaid. You're gonna rip it off slow or you're gonna slightly peel it off? And I, mm-hmm. I, I don't have a good answer, and I, I don't think that people in charge have a good answer, and so you get this perpetual kicking of the can down the road. And at some point in time that that band-aid is coming off, and the people left holding the bag are gonna be in a lot of trouble.
1: Yeah, they, I, and I think that's kind of the, in, the inevitability of where we're heading. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I I could see a f- you know very small percentage chance of a couple things happening in the world that would change that, um, but by and large, you know, the path that we're heading down is it has twelve foot walls on either side of it, and you know we don't have any access to air travel anymore. And I think, yeah, and. This eventuality, yeah, the people left have told in the bag are going to be, um, you know, it's not going to be a fun time. It'll be an interesting time.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I hear a lot of people that are talking about all these things, Ben, about a potential arrest of the president, chaos, the end of the banking system. But I thought it would be fun for you and I to talk about why this is such a beautiful time and why... Mm-hmm. It would be fantastic if all these things failed. You know, I, I was talking to a – I'm a, I'm a UPS driver. I'm a truck driver. And I, I have seen what's happening at my work echo that what's happening in the United States. And I want, I want to share the story with everybody. As a UPS driver, I've seen the volume somewhat decrease. I've seen the packages, the, the people shipping stuff out it's really begun to decrease, like the UPS stores and all the volume. That being Mm. said, the management team at UPS, the CEOs, the executives, the district managers, the building managers, you know, whether it's through stress or whether it's through greed or selfishness, they have made a decision to cut like 30% of their workforce even though there's not a 30% drop in volume. And in Mm. doing so, they've added an additional 30% of work to every person there. And the level of stress that I see there, the level of accidents that are happening there, the level of injuries that are not being reported, the level of book cooking where they just come in and you know they just fucking, oh, yeah, we're this productive. Or the way that they manage or pretend to measure productivity, it's all bullshit. And I think Mm -hmm. that that same level of corruption that's happening where I'm at is happening throughout every single corporation in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. And it scares me because I see that the people that are in positions of authority, those people are in danger. Like those people are scared because the upper division management is telling them you either cut all these people and force an extra 40% on all these people. I don't care if they get sick. I don't care if they get hurt. I don't care if they go out on the road and die or they run kids over. I don't care. I want them out there with 40% more work. Otherwise you lose your job. Mm -hmm. So then the management people tell the people on the bottom, those people do it. And then, like, so getting back to the full story is there's like there's a guy outside my work that's he, God bless him, veteran. He's his uh wife has cancer, he's working four jobs. So the guy mm-hmm. can't catch a break, you know. And I see him outside, I talk to him, I talk, and, and he's just one of many people that are like, I can't fucking do it, man. I can't do yeah. it. I'm making a tiny amount of money. My boss is making four times as much money, and I bet you his boss probably feels the same way. But Mm -hmm. the level of work people are being put on, the level of stress people are putting put on, I don't think the people at the top thoroughly understand what's about to happen. And I I guess I'm bringing that up because I, I think that it's this idea of money. It's this idea of the society that we live in. It's this idea that we need this thing called money in order to have an identity. That's a Mm -hmm. huge problem, and if I were to to encapsulate all of what I was just talking about in some of our previous conversation, I think it can be glorious to see a currency fail. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but if you Mm -hmm. read any sort of biography from World War II, if you start reading, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. This is when the best literature was wrote. That's when there's a return to family values. That's when there's a return to civility is when we get rid of this idea of money being the measure of all things. And so I guess if I was going to put forth something that could become better because of this crisis, it would be the end of the material idea that money makes the man. What else could I, what else could I add to that, Ben? And what can you add to that to, to, to give people a
1: little bit of hope? Well, I, I, I think you pretty nailed it on the head. I think we're going to see the end of runaway capitalism. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, we're going to see more traditionalists, for lack of a better term, more merit, meritocratic values be instituted in society again. Um, I think, you know, there'll be a refocus on community. I think we'll, you know, instead of throwing our old people in homes to go die, you know, they'll be reinstituted as the educators, Mm. um, as, you know, as the people, as the elders in the tribe, essentially. So I think we're I I think when this dies, uh, I think that's what gets born. is. And and frankly, I think that's, you know, it'll be a golden age for for humanity.
0: I like that. And I, and I agree. And if I'm honest with myself, I can begin to see it in terms of generations because I, I mm-hmm. see, you know, and the best view I have is from a Gen X view. And I see the mistakes that my parents made and I see that they were, you know, and, and when I say my parents, I mean, a lot of the boomer age, I, you know, a lot of the boomers were sold on this idea of materialism. Hey, don't worry about the future, man. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. You're going to own everything. And a lot of people have made it a lot of boomers have made it to a level of financial freedom, but no one comes and spends any time with them and then they end Mm -hmm. up in a home and they're lonely, but they have tons of money, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think from one lesson that I'm taking away from this is that money is not the measure of all things. You can have tons of money and no family. And that Mm -hmm. is a level of poverty that I don't ever want to be part of. I would rather have my family than, millions of dollars and live alone and had no one ever come and see me. And so maybe on a generational level, we are beginning to already move into somewhat of a golden age. And what we're seeing now is the collapse of the city from the hillside.
1: Oh, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, I've been privy to some fortune 500 company presentations about uh, like generation Z and how to appeal to these you know how these people coming up and then the next generation alpha coming up after them Mm. and the takeaways are you know these basically runaway corporate greed can't be you know our bottom line you know we can't be beholden to shareholders otherwise we're not gonna we're not gonna inspire the loyalty in the career paths of these younger generations and i think we're already seeing that you know i think all the side gigs out there all the side hustles you know these terms just became ubiquitous over the past couple of years um i think it's hilarious that the united states post post their unemployment rate at record low and yet you know every every single place has a help wanted sign right yeah uh you know and that's just how they fudge the numbers but uh yeah i I think i think we're already starting to see it at, at at a kind of like a grassroots level and i you know and we're seeing a lot of communities of just like, hey, we're like minded. Let's just go move into the to the mountains and start a little community. Um, and they're not becoming cults, you know, so there's a little yeah. bit of difference there. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I and I think we're going to continue to see this happen. And, and the sad thing is, is it won't be able to happen for everybody because there's such a socioeconomic divide. Yeah. Uh, and as this as this comes greater and greater into fruition. Um, you're either going to be on one side of that chasm or the other. And I, I think that's kind of the barrel we're looking at right now.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. It's, um, it's interesting, you know, and I... I guess I... There's so much I want to talk about there. Let me, let me start off with this part. When we look at the next generation... You know, we we saw something interesting happen with Twitter. And the reason I bring it up is because I think that there is a clash of ideas that happens there. And I don't thoroughly understand which one's right, which one's wrong, or if they both have some merit to them. And I want to pose the question to you. So Twitter has this company where people can go in. You want a glass of wine? You know what? You want to take a week off? Go ahead. Take as much time off as you want. Bring your kid in. We got health Like, that sounds like a pretty awesome place to work. Like, mm-hmm. and if the company is making tons of money and they can afford to do that, like, you know, while it's very asinine for me to watch them girl like I'm going to work. I want to get some wine. I'm going to go up on a, I'm going to smoke a little weed on the roof. I'm going to have a few meetings. I got to be honest. The only reason I'm mad at that is because I'm jealous of that. Like, that's awesome. I'm like, I'm stuck that's great. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Why can't work be like that? And then Elon Musk comes in and says, you know what? None of you guys are productive. You guys don't do anything. You just sit in here and drink wine and smoke weed on the roof, man. You're not get anything done. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me that like Twitter is pretty similar to when all those people were there, boozing it up, and when Elon Musk is here, cutting it down, cutting all the costs. Mm-hmm. So like, is there a is there a need for? for this hardcore person to come in and say, you guys are all a bunch of dummies. You're stupid. You got to work harder. I'm going to sleep under my desk. Look at me. This is how you do it. But like, it's not really any different. So, so is the only difference where the money goes, either the money goes to the employees or the money goes to the top. And is that what we're facing here?
1: In part. Yeah. You know, I think there's a, there's another factor in that equation, which is, you know, Uh, Twitter has been running out of deficit ever since it started. (laughs) Yes. Right. So, you know, depending on how you measure these things, yeah, if you just measured it between like, you know, your day-to-day work behavior, uh, what, you know, pre and post Elon, that's, you know, it's an interesting conversation, but then you also have to figure pre Elon, they were definitely just hemorrhaging somebody else's money. I see. Um, at the same time, post Elon, they're not doing much better so you know the point still stands (laughs) still stands too uh yeah and i think it's kind of reminiscent of what we're just seeing it's kind of globally you know as we become connected as resources have become more plentiful as the vast majority of people on this planet have been raised out of you know extreme poverty don't get me wrong there's still plenty in it um but enough people that we're, we're we're having real global conversations i think you know the value and worth of what human effort is, is, uh, is changing uh, and how we measure it, uh, how we see each other. Um, You know, in days past, it was really easy to say, Hey, look, bad guy. Mm -hmm. But yet now we all have friends where the bad guy is and can say, Hey, is that guy a bad guy? Like, yeah, he's an okay guy. He's not a bad guy. Mm -hmm. Or no, he's actually a good guy. Um, And so now it's, you know, it's, it's, it's much harder to just point the finger and say bad. And I think yeah. that whole conversation is kind of what we're seeing at scale and locally. And, you know, to your Twitter conversation.
0: You see, Ben, this is one reason I love talking to you. Like I, I, I love the idea that this technology and conversations is as small as they may be can have profound effects. Like I, I never thought about it from the angle of like, yeah, you know what? There's a global conversation happening about all these things. And that maybe, maybe that's why the world's in chaos. Maybe that's why the material so. idea of capitalism is failing is people mm-hmm. around the world are like, nah, we don't want to do this anymore. And the backlash right. is like, no, you've done this for 300 years. You're going to keep doing it. And you know what? Now you can do more. Like that mm-hmm. sounds like the antics of a spoiled child. Like you're going to do more because I said it. Who are you? I'm the boss. What makes you the boss? Hey, don't ask so many questions. You know what I mean? (laughs) You're fired. Yeah. 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 And then people to stand around and be like, all right. Hey, you got fired
1: too? Oh, me too. Hey, let's go start up our thing over here. Yeah. 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 And I think, so I think we're going to see, you know, like we're talking about the silver lining of all this stuff. I think, you know, the. The, this conversation, as it unfolds, will be a breaking of nations and a breaking of the systems of the past. But we're also going to refine ourselves at a, a you know, a, as what it means to be humanity in a modern mm. age. And I yeah. think when we come out the other side of this, I think it'll be a pretty good time for for humanity in general, provided we don't yeah. destroy ourselves. You know,
0: <laughs> yeah, like all rebirth, there's a chance of death. You know, and mm-hmm. I and I think it was Jim who said, no one here gets out alive. It's something something to think about, you know, and <laughs> what what kind of legacy or, or what, what do you want your relationships with the world around you to look like as you're going through these changes? Changes are hard and, you know, every, every one of us wakes up sometimes like I can't do it today or everybody wakes up sometimes like, dude, I'm going to punch that guy in the face or I can't wait to give that person a piece of my mind, you know, and it, it's hard, but I think. When you wake up and you think about that, that you should first off try to ground yourself in awareness that, hey, maybe you're just angry or maybe you're upset. But is there something else you can do to create the change that will be lasting change instead of a moment of emotional discharge that may feel good but ultimately leads to a town called nowhere? And so, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm happy to to see how all these things that are being portrayed to us as the biggest crisis, the end of life, the end of your freedom are actually just paths to a better existence. And I I, I do believe that it's hard. It's really hard. And that's why I'm thankful for these kind of conversations, because I, I think that if you sit down with people whom you think are intelligent, that you care about, you can start finding a way to a better life, I don't know i what else do you see on the radar ben that is worthy of conversation
1: oh gosh i mean (laughs) it depends on where we want to take the conversation i suppose but uh yeah i you know i think it's there's a lot of doom and gloom out there so i I think it's probably important that we do focus on you know how this how this turns out for the better um and It is, it's reconnecting with your community, with your family, with your loved ones. It's, it's having the, it's having the meaningful conversation. It's, it's having the awareness to realize that the situation is an emotionally fleeting one.
0: Mm. And
1: that there's much larger, uh, much larger things at stake. Uh, whether that be the personal, Hey, I want to punch that guy in the face today, or whether it be, you know, how we're talking about throwing bombs in Ukraine and Russia. Uh, I think, you know, having the ability to be mindful of these things, having the ability to conversate about these things, that's what provides perspective. And by providing that perspective, I mean, that's what gives people options. Otherwise, they just feel lost in the chaos.
0: Yeah, when you give someone no options, you leave them no choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it seems like that's such an authoritarian style of, of leadership. It's like I'm going to take away all your options, and now you have to do what I say. You know, well, you know, you you brought something up about when we talk about Ukraine and we talk about the military industrial complex. Do you think that a country at war, a country that is building a large part of its foundation on violence abroad? must also incorporate the ideas of violence at home? Do you think that that's what makes someone wake up and want to pu- – do you think it influences – like if I want to wake up and go punch someone in the face, do you think that's influenced by the my country at war in the Ukraine?
1: Sure. I mean, How like so? begets like, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, violence breeds, breeds violence. Um and these are kind of you know th- those are those are cute little sayings but from just like a physics perspective you know that's kind of how everything in the world is built likes like attracts like and repels the opposite uh and so you know we're not you know why would maybe conscious we're not completely uh you know above physics <laughs>
0: right right and,
1: and i think you know when you when you start to go off and, and you're embroiled in conflict you're bringing me at home you can't go out and punch somebody in the face and come home to your family and, and you know, not think about how you punch that guy in the face. All right. You know, it, it's still going to be there. It's going to linger. And by that lingering, it's going to influence eventually, uh, if not completely, your decisions, your ability to operate in the world. Because now, you know, it, it, not only is it what you did, but it's also how you chose to deal with the problem. And so that's going to be, you know, more likely the choice of how you deal with the next problem and the next problem and the next one until eventually all you're doing is going out and punching people in the face every day. And then, you know, that'll eventually come home to roost within your family or in this case, you know, the nation itself.
0: Yeah, that's deep. It's, it's very true. You know, and I, you know, fear is such a giant behavioral stick that can be wielded against you. And it's, it's the fear- biggest motivator. Yeah. Is it the biggest motivator?
1: I, that's what they say in psychology books, and, fear and pain. Fear and pain.
0: And I I would like to hope that we are at a point of max maximum fear, you know, and it's it's everywhere. It's it's. There's a train derailment. There's a crisis over here. You're at war. You're gonna lose your job. You don't have any money. The food's running out. Like, it's just this incredible propaganda of loss and scarcity and fear that is bombarded on people. And you know whether that is done as a way to create change or whether people believe in the idea that. It is uncomfortable situations that necessitate technology or breed technology. You know, whether it is this, we're in some giant experiment where someone's just picking up our ant farm and shaking it because they want (laughs) us to do something different. You know, like, there's there's something that's called the law of unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. And, and, And I'm hopeful that You know, I I don't know how things shake out or I don't thoroughly know if the law of unintended consequences results in something good or something bad or whether there's even a probability on that. But I think we're we're bumping up against that law right now. Do you know anything is 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 there something to be said about the positive versus the negative outcome of the law of unintended consequences?
1: Um. I, I don't believe so. No, I, I believe the idea is, is that, um, you know, you just we just don't have we don't have access to all the knowledge. So we don't have right. the foresight to predict with any sort of accuracy what is officially going to happen. Um, and I think the unintended consequences could be positive or negative. I think it's mm. usually used in a negative connotation. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of unintended consequences of positivity. Like, you know, back to what we were just talking about, we're having this global conversation. You know, when the internet came about, it was never intended for us to sit here and talk to each other and talk about these things, (laughs) right? Uh, But definitely an unintended consequence is that here we are. And And so here is the rest of the world. And I think, you know, now we get to have a real conversation with a vast greater majority of the population on this planet, and what it means to be human, what's valuable um you know relationships to one another all of these things and those unintended consequences have led us down this path and I think uh, you know I like you I'm hopeful I think that this actually turns out well uh well a lot gets swallowed up in the process I think inevitably it has to you know it's kind of like a a forest fire Uh, Eventually, you know, there's just so much debris on the ground that any sort of spark kicks off this rampaging forest fire and it seems to just scorch the earth. And yet Mm. in that you get not only a rebirth of the area with, you know, uh, better nitrogen content in the soil so everything can grow better, but you also get a complete uh, set of new species that are now allowed to, you know, grow in that land because it's not taken up by these towering trees that have just been shedding for years. And, so and lots of mushrooms, met- probably. And lots of mushrooms, right. So there's some <laughs> metaphors in there somewhere, right?
0: That was awesome. That was well said. I, I, I like that. And, you know, I I think that there's a reason we always turn back to metaphors because it, it really, especially for the, whether it's the No Absolutes podcast, or the True Life podcast, there's this underlying theme of, you know, as above, so below. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that the law of unintended consequences wraps the idea of no absolutes in a way like it, maybe it's this way maybe it's that way and on the topic of your book no absolutes you last time we had spoke you had you had mentioned to me that you are working not only on an addendum to that book but that you may be getting close to having the second book in the series come out can you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah sure um the second book because the first book is kind of you know how do I translate what I've seen scientifically and research into kind of a philosophy, a personal philosophy? Uh, And then, you know, then, you know, after conversations like this greatly influence it, Oh, how does this philosophy, you know, if you were to apply it at scale, what sort of results would you expect? What would you see? Um, You know, and I think the, you know, the axioms of, of no absolutes as above, so below, these things are very important on how one views the world. Um, If you change your perspective, just like we were talking about earlier, yeah, you wake up and you want to go hit that guy. But if you if your world isn't so confined that your only resolution is violence, then you have the perspective to be able to make a different choice. Mm -hmm. And it's that freedom of choice that I think we really lack at not only the personal level because of some, you know, a lot of ingrained institutions and religions and dogmas and all sorts of narratives uh but also at the societal level for the same reasons you know we're we're beholden to these i you know you could call them icons of the past but you know they're they're almost anchors pulling us down at this point and yeah. so the uh, yeah and so the idea would be how do you you know how does this type of philosophy apply to at a societal scale and that's the next book
0: wow that's deep to think about. I, You know, I, I was talking to uh, another friend of the show, Dr. Jessica Rochester, and we were talking about spirituality. And she had mentioned mm-hmm. something to me. Well, she's mentioned a lot of things to me that stuck with me. But in this particular instance, we were talking about tests and spirituality and life. And we had got on a similar topic of society and crisis and crossroads. And she says, you know, George, in life, you're tested. You're tested in school, in math. You're tested in your family. Why wouldn't we all be tested as a species on spirituality? Why, why wouldn't we? You know, if you just look at the way life is put up, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't this be a test? And I thought to myself, like, yeah. You know, and, and the thing with the test is you can't go to the next level until you pass that test. You can't go to Mm -hmm. fifth grade. Well, maybe nowadays you could probably go to fifth without (laughs) passing fourth grade. But the laws of life govern in a different way than a school. The laws of life say if you want to go to this next level, you got to pass this test. And whether we look at the world we live in as a rebirth or a societal collapse, I think the way to see it is as a test. And the -hmm. way we pass this test as a community is by each individual passing the test as an individual. You know, when you, what are you doing to make the people around you better? What are you doing to make your environment better? Not necessarily picking up trash or tea leaves, but what are you doing to make the community better? And I, I think when people begin asking that question and not only asking that question, but acting upon that question, I think that moves us down the list of questions we need to pass that test I. That's what I think about when you start talking about the next book coming out. What are there going to be some cool infographics on there or uh, what what, what can we look forward to?
1: Uh, Better, better infographics this time even. Uh, Yeah. So here's a, that's an interesting comment.
0: Yeah. Good old Paul. How's it going, Paul Carissa, Paul, uh, Baby Yo Ten, thank you so much for coming. We're going to get to these questions right now. Maybe, maybe you can take a look at that, uh, Mr. Wizard. Good Paul Yokum, awesome wrestler, awesome guy. He says, what was a, that was a great similarity to Gleek's chaos theory. While based in math, there is a lot of other disciplines and philosophies can be pulled from it. I don't even know what Gleek's chaos theory is. I mean, I know chaos theory, but is that a form of chaos theory? Is that the actual chaos theory?
1: I'm pretty sure he was one of the first people to put chaos theory forward. Okay. My memory awesome. serves me well. Yeah. So it's, it's simply it's essentially chaos theory. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. There's um, so I kind of play off of chaos theory into my information theory, uh, and provide slightly bit more order to it, but not at a, not at a great degree. And I think, yeah, absolutely. Um, when we have this philosophy as kind of foundational where instead of somebody knowing the absolute answer and something having to be absolutely true, then we allow ourselves the freedom of choice to be able to weigh the evidence, to weigh the data, to, you know, uh, use our gift of reason and actually come out with an outcome that's not just uh, better, but also can apply to a larger scale uh, and can, you know, Move society forward. Move humanity forward.
0: Yeah, Paul, if you're listening, if you look behind uh, Benjamin George, you can see over his right shoulder his book right there. <laughs> and I don't know if Ben's still up for this, but the one of the first few podcasts we were doing, Ben was running a uh, a a promotion where he had said, if you he will send you a copy of his book if you read it and give him feedback. Paul, Mr. Yokum, I think that you would you would love this guy's book. I've read it. I've read it multiple times. I've uh, shared a copy with my niece and nephew and the infographics. If you go back and watch some of the previous podcasts, that's kind of how me and Ben met, but just the infographics in this thing alone, Paul will blow your mind. So you should reach out to Ben and see if, if if you can work that deal, but
1: offer assistance. Yep.
0: Nice to everybody listening. I, I would highly recommend you, you take him up on that. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal book, and I, I know I know for a fact that Ben has had people reach out to him on Twitter and say things that blew my mind. So, you know, it's, it's yeah, <laughs> it's awesome, man. I got a uh, here's a bit of a riddle someone put up here for us. Let's see All if right. we can figure this out. Today's question. Uh, okay, today's question. The same parents. Oh. Okay, born on. Babies born on, or maybe babies born on to the same parents at the same time, the same moment, but they're not twins, not even fraternal twins. Why are they not twins? So, two babies born to the same parents at the same time is it two moms that have kids at the same time and they're it's like a lesbian relationship? That That would be my guess.
1: I mean that sounds like a pretty uh <laughs> modern answer there yeah. <laughs> um I, I, I could have sworn i read a paper about this not too long ago uh where they actually you know they've taken identical well you know oh th- twins and they they actually had uh different genetics um oh, wow. and i i think the conclusion of the paper was is that um you know it was basically like a mutation in like the sperm or the egg that got fertilized and that mutation kicked off a whole different branch of growth and so they actually weren't you know directly related as uh like you know from a genetic perspective I read that it was probably three weeks four weeks ago I think and then I've also seen, you know, where they've done a study. They did a documentary about this where they, they put up a whole bunch of pictures and then people would say, hey, that looks like me. And then they they found the people who were most alike and got them together. And they found that even though people weren't related from, you know, familial ties, they looked exactly the same. They acted exactly the same. They went off and had similar career paths. Um, no way. It, oh, yeah. Pretty wild. That's stuff, so crazy. Detached from each other. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting quirks to the world that, we you know, we're still just scratching the surface on for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, maybe that's this next level, too, of of wherever we're going. You know, maybe the ideas we've had for the last 200 years of of industrialization are equivalent to playing with a hot wheel in a sandbox. You know what i mean like maybe they're just these are just hey those, that's really cute those ideas are really cute but
1: come on well, over
0: here to big, the big kids playground
1: oh absolutely i mean you know in in the the talk of fusion has been around for a long time right right uh and so always 20 years out and 20 years out but as we get closer and closer to to the fusion reality i mean if we crack fusion everything changes as a species You have to figure that our entire society is built on the premise that, you know, there needs to be a consumption of energy and that energy is limited resource. If all Mm. of a sudden we had we could tap into the power of the sun and produce, relatively speaking, unlimited quantities of energy to what we're doing now, uh, that revolutionizes society as a whole. Uh, You know, you can do we can do anything at that point uh That's when we kind of, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the types of civilizations. That's when we start to move through that hierarchy of, of civilizations.
0: Yeah, w- one of which is having a, a a global government, right? Like that's one of the first stages of like, okay, of it. you know, it, it, who's to say that's not happening now, Ben? Like, like if, if we play out that thought experiment, you know, and. I believe, I bet, if someone listening to this, or I can do it after the show, there was whispers of we've cracked fusion by Skunk Works or one of these big military contractors. It was light. I remember seeing it in the news, being like, "What the fuck? were you talking about?" And it was like a, a, you know, it wasn't a headline. It was something like buried down in an article about halfway through. Hey, I just want to let everybody know that we've cracked this. Like this, like the slight boot. It, it's like the. The knowing smile of a Buddhist monk in a monastery, like, oh, yeah, we cracked that thing. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, they don't want to say anything. but So, like, if we were to do a thought experiment, what would it look like if one entity cracked fusion and is like, we got this, we're going to give it to people? I think that the next level would be you'd have a mass amount of private people coming in. You're not going to give this away. We need this for us. It's, it's going to be oh, horrible sure. for society. If you do this, it's going to disrupt everything. If you do this, mm-hmm. and you would see a global meltdown. You would see people dying. You would see political figures getting arrested. You would see wars. You would see everything happen in order to stop that technology from coming out. And that does seem a lot like what's happening now
1: i mean i yeah you would definitely see a pushback from basically all the powers that be because that that changes the instead of a chessboard or of a checkers board now you're on a chessboard you're playing you're playing a completely different game at that point uh and the resistance of change to that to that flip over would be dramatic uh at the same time i think if you know, Somebody did say, hey, guess what? We cracked it, and anybody who comes here now is going to have just an incredible quality of life because now we can afford to do all these things that other nations can't. Uh, I think you, you would have a mass exodus, a mass immigration to that place, and you would also have the destabilization of all these systems uh, that don't have access to that. Um, from a military perspective, if you cracked Mm -hmm. it as a military person, now you're going to sit on that as long as you can until you're forced to bring out those types of weapons because then you have utter dominance. So instead of all these people trying to work on fusion weapons at the same time, because now fusion is a thing in the world, now you have 20 years to sit and build your fusion bombs. So when somebody does eventually finally piss you off, you can just drop a couple fusion bombs. Like, hey, look, sorry we won
0: yeah that you know it damn it man why do you you have to burst my bubble ben (laughs) damn it and even even our friend paul down here is like yep it depends on the military that it first off we should probably come to the idea that all technology is based from military funding like that that's where it comes from probably and that's probably where it's going to you know, as soon as we discover something new, we're like, hey, well, how can we kill people with this thing? What's the best yeah. way to murder people with this technology? That being said, on a recent Rogan program, they had Carl Randall Carlson back on and mm-hmm. uh, they had the recent Carlson Hancock episode back on. And they talked a lot about Hancock's new show and how he was getting hate from scientists. But Randall Carlson dropped this bomb about new technology and he promised to come back to Rogan and he hasn't done it yet and I think he was talking about new technology I want to say fusion, but i'm not, I'm not sure on that did you catch that episode by chance I
1: I, I had it on in the background wouldn't right. it um, right but but yeah I have heard him talk about that I'm not sure what he's referencing um, right I mean you know at the same time again fusion's been being the promise for right. you know the past 70 years so who's to say somebody actually didn't crack it i mean even the you know the the public commercial reactors out there i think one of them just you know produced a small overunity now it wasn't overunity for the entire system it was just overunity for uh, the input for the fusion reactor and the material and then they got more energy out of it um, but when you factor in all of the other things, I think it was still like 10 orders of magnitude away from being actual like true over unity. Uh, so and there have been a lot of breakthroughs in terms of, you know, magnetic confinements and, you know, faster relays. Uh, you know, I read a paper yesterday, uh, a group created basically to make light computers instead of having a silicon chip. You could have it all based on light. Uh, one of the big holdups was that was uh, the switches that you have. Uh, and they figured out how to basically switch these things in Atto seconds. Uh, so, now, yeah, so now you can have now you could build computers that instead of relying on silicon chips would just uh, basically encode all that information in light and then decode it.
0: Wow. Now you're talking.
1: Yeah. So, you know, as fast as everything is today, you're talking you know, many orders of magnitude, at least three to five faster. Um, You know, and that presents other problems with the world, too, because, you know, like everything in the world's ran by cryptography. Uh, Mm -hmm. And this is kind of the big scare with quantum computers, too, because uh, and why people have been working on quantum resistant algorithms for to, you know, uh, encode information and decode information. But if you increase the speed that dramatically that fast, what we consider, you know, cryptographically secure today can be cracked in a couple months type idea. Whereas, you know, it would take the lifetime of every computer on the planet to crack some of these algorithms that, you know, secure the data that we have today. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, all of these things are, you know, they end up double-edged sword if you let them, if you look at them long enough.
0: Man, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be something if, you know, these the rate of change is accelerating so fast. Wouldn't it be something if there's these multi-billion dollar startups that are like working on quantum technology and then they're, they, they finally get to this thing like we've got the quantum computer. And then some goat herder from Nigeria is like, Oh yeah, I built one on light. I have one on light over here. <laughs> <laughs> Like I know that's like a pipe dream
1: but interesting. Yeah, unfortunately just because of the sheer volume of resources that these things require, right? I I don't see it happening. It's just like yeah. you know, I I've thought about fusion for years and you know, played around with different models and like, "Hey, could you make a basement fusion reactor before one of these giant things like ITER actually figured it out?" And it it, and maybe you could but it really comes down to resources i mean mm-hmm. the types of materials that you need the isotopes of these materials like things like tritium there's only 500 grams of tritium produced every year you know uh so getting your hands on stuff like that becomes you know the hurdles that you just can't surmount without loads and loads of resources in this case cash
0: yeah there's something so romantic about the the guy in the basement that's just building technology or has ideas that entire labs can't even match, you know? And like, I, like, I I love that idea. I love the idea of someone being the best that has no business being there. You know, the guy that, or the woman, the woman or the guy that is looked at like some sort of just clown or some barbarian that, is doing things better than even the people at the best schools could possibly do. I, I don't know if that's that is something that's hardwired into the the human g- genome or the American idea or the Western ideals or, you know. I, but I, I think that there's something there, and I I think if, I don't know. It it those are my favorite books to read, and those are my favorite ideas to think about. It. Well, those and are also
1: know. the people that we highlight over history too, right? You know, our Teslas, yeah. our Einstein's, yeah. you know, people like this who. Yeah. You, you know, who are somewhat adjacent to the yeah. services and industries that they that currently exist at the time. But, you know, fast forward 50 years, they revolutionized everything. So, I, you know, I yeah. think we have a lot of that kind of it, it, I think it is ingrained in humanity at a certain level. You know, it's the romantic idea. It's why people love to root for the underdog. You yeah. know, it's uh, you know, we want to see the people that necessarily shouldn't succeed succeed i think it's kind of inherent in in not just western culture but in humanity in general
0: yeah that's i love that i love it a lot let's 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 end it right there ben i gotta go handle some things but that is beautiful man and i i just want to say to everybody out there again if you haven't taken a moment or maybe you've never heard of the book called no absolutes I highly recommend that if you enjoy our conversation, if you enjoy what Ben's talking about or any of our previous podcasts, it's all pretty much been inspired by our meeting together. And that was through his book, No Absolutes. It's a great book. It's something that, you know, as soon as I read it, I was like, I got to talk to this guy. And you know, our, our relationship started from there. But if you haven't read it, Go there. Check it out. Go to Ben's website. Check out what he's got going on there. Read the blog. Subscribe to the newsletter. And uh, I think that at the very least, it will provide you with some nuggets of truth that you can chew on throughout your day that make you feel good about yourself. <laughs> so, well, thank you, before, George. Yeah. yeah. Before I let you go, Ben, what do you, where can people find you? What do you got coming up and what are you excited about?
1: Uh, BenjaminCGeorge.com for everything I'm working on. Uh, Coming up is the next iterations of the book. Uh, Some stuff with the Terry Libre Project still kicking around out there. Uh, I have uh, a whole bunch of pre-recorded podcast stuff and breaking down the book and things like that that I'll release sometime this year. (laughs) I'm not going to give it a hard date anymore. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm always excited for more of these conversations. You know, uh, these are the types of things that... You know even if it's the tiniest bit of perspective perspective can make a dramatic shift in someone's life and you know the perspective that i've gained just in our conversations has shifted my life uh so you know having the ability to have these conversations and have more of them and potentially provide that little nugget that's what i'm looking forward to
0: yeah it's incredibly rewarding and i i feel like i've learned a lot and so uh Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be back next week. And um, thank you so much to everybody who's taken a moment to reach out to us, to participate in the chat. Carissa, Paul, uh, I love you guys, man. You guys are awesome people. And uh, to the whole world of podcasting and technology and to everybody trying to keep us down, watch out because we're coming for you. That's all we got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) aloha.